Hi there, welcome back to the Tristan Cabaneta Show, and we're listening to Legal AF on Filter the Week. Well, here's something you can appreciate. So, shout out to KMP, <clears throat> student radio at the University of Aridstona in Two Stones, and KPYT, Pascal Yogi Radio, Radio Radio, on the res for Tristan Show. You buy. Thanks for a million summer. listeners and subscribers and followers and viewers and I hope you're calling uh, three branches of government, especially the uh, Department of Justice. It's my bedtime. It's only nine o'clock, but I get up at the crack of dawn with all these animals around. So calling the Hulu original series. Tell me lies. Hmm. Um, I cover all the pro-democracy podcasts. I cover all the pro-democracy podcasts, Midas Touch, Lincoln, Lincoln Project, Occupy Democrats, The Young Turks, Ron Kirshner because justice matters, and Politics Girl, Mary Trump. Updates on the search warrant executed at Mar-a-Lago. Mar-a-Lago. What is the judge doing? Literally, Popak, what is the judge doing? <laughs> what is the DOJ doing? And what is Trump doing? We will break it down. A grand jury in Washington, D.C. has been issuing subpoenas regarding Trump's PAC, you want to call it that, and other subpoenas to former top advisors like Stephen Miller and Brian Jack on the fake elector scheme. A federal judge in the Southern District of Florida dismissed Donald Trump's absurd and frivolous RICO or racketeering lawsuit and essentially said as much in his order. And it appears that Trump's lawyer, particularly Alina Haba, is going to be sanctioned and sanctioned severely for bringing the lawsuit. Steve Bannon is indicted by the Manhattan District Attorney and New York Attorney General in a joint prosecution for state law crimes for his involvement in the We Build the Wall scam. And a Trump judge in Texas rules that businesses should not be required to cover life-saving HIV treatment as part of the Affordable Care Act because their religious views allow them to discriminate against homosexuality. How dystopian and sick is that and a new report shows that groups connected with Ginny Thomas were involved with the submission of 51% of the amicus briefs that were submitted to the Supreme Court in other words her radical right extremist husband in support of overturning Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs case and ultimately the Dobbs decision the most consequential legal news this is Legal AF I'm Ben Micellis and I'm joined by Michael Popak. Michael, how are you doing this weekend? I'm doing great, Ben. It's it's really, you ended it the way we're going to begin it. It's just this dystopian view using the justice system as its, as its handmaiden, as its tool to um, put together the this right-wing agenda. You know, we'll talk about Alina Haba, who's at the heart of the motion to dismiss against the Trump lawsuit down in Florida. And having seen her on television, we'll talk about that as well. We know this is all just a charade as a publicity stunt to raise money for the former, for the former president. 
And we're going to talk about money flow as it relates to Steve Bannon as well. So let's get to it. You know, one of the special master selections, we're going to give a more in depth what this whole process is even about, though. But I want to say this at the outset that the Department of Justice suggested to be the special master to review some of the documents obtained at Mar-a-Lago was someone by the name of Thomas B. Griffith, who was a retired circuit judge of the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, actually a George W. Bush appointee. And he had written a report following the 2020 elections that basically said and applauded the courts for holding strong against all of the kind of lies and frivolous attempts to undermine our judicial system. And it's why it's why we do this show. Our judiciary and our legal system is so important. It was truly the last line of defense. And it did hold up. So with all the dystopian stuff we're talking about, those are the attacks from all sides, right, that Trump and MAGA Republicans, let's just call it what it is, are trying to attack and bring down our judiciary because it held strong in 2020, because facts and the rule of law prevailed. And so that's why we do this show, to show that contrast, though, between this dystopian vision and manipulation of the law and when the law works and how we can preserve and protect our rule of law. So I just wanted to say that at the outset, when we talk about some dystopian stuff, the system has held. So let's get right into it, Pope. I could talk about the updates on the search warrant executed at Mar-a-Lago, of course, search warrant. Uh, was executed pursuant to a valid search warrant signed by a magistrate judge out of the Southern District of Florida, Judge Reinhardt. Uh, the search took place on August 8th. Um, a number of items were obtained in connection with the search warrant. We're learning that there were about 100 top secret documents, confidential classified records belonging to the government that were obtained, thousands of other government documents which should never have been taken either, and a very kind of small set of potentially personal documents belonging to Trump, and even a smaller sliver of a potentially attorney-client privilege set of documents. But under no circumstance, under no one who's a fair arbiter of the law, would you say that in connection with a valid search warrant executed, the individual who's being investigated for the crimes should dictate how the investigators, how the Department of Justice, an arm of the executive branch, conducts their criminal investigation? And what the uh, judge who Trump basically tried to forum shop to get, he really sought this judge out and he supposed to be a random selection. You know, we don't know how random it is. The procedure sometimes for selecting the judge is somewhat cloaked in secrecy, but it's supposed to be a random selection. But after the August 8th warrant, he does nothing and then waits until August 22nd, files this motion for judicial oversight, and essentially asking, hey, I'm the one being criminally investigated, judge, but basically appoint me to control how the investigation is actually boiling down, right? And I want to appoint a special master, in other words, an independent third party who can review these records. And he didn't really say this as much, but the judge basically said it for him, made the argument for him. And I want an injunction. 
I want to stop the government from doing its investigation because it would be utilizing documents which Donald Trump is claiming it belongs to him. Donald Trump's never claimed which documents belong to him. He's never denied that he has top secret sensitive classified records. He's never denied the recent reports that some of those could actually be nuclear secrets of foreign countries. He's never denied any of those facts. He simply said, me, 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 give it to me. Um, the Department of Justice filed an opposition and earlier this week on Monday, to the surprise of many, although to the surprise of most people who follow the law, the judge granted the special master request and enjoined the government. This happened on September 5th from continuing their investigation, their criminal investigation, to the extent it utilized and used those uh, documents that were obtained, including the classified records, which is basically an affront to our national security interest, an affront to all laws of criminal justice, derailing a criminal investigation. And so then the ball was in the court of the Department of Justice to respond. And they filed a notice of appeal. They haven't filed the formal appeal yet, but they let the 11th Circuit know they're going to be appealing Judge Cannon's order. And what they also did, Popak, and I want you to break it down because it's a very sophisticated move, a motion for partial stay of Judge Cannon's order. And the motion for partial stay is a very surgical move, and it basically says this. Judge, you're wrong on everything. So we're going to appeal your order to the 11th Circuit, who we think is going to overturn you. But we know that could take time. And we know that Trump's trying to delay, delay, delay. And Judge, you may be trying to delay. So why don't we just focus on the 100 classified records? You want to go along with this special master charade? It's going to be a waste of everyone's time. But you want to go ahead with it? go ahead with it. We're still going to appeal that because the whole order is fatal and doesn't make sense. But as it relates to the 100 classified records, those should not be subject to a special master, right? And those documents should not, we should not be enjoined from utilizing those records in connection with our investigation. And so they boxed Trump in, Popa, because he has to now say, I own those records or I declassified those records or say something about that subset. So she ordered Trump to respond by September 12th there. Um, she also gave an order, Judge Cannon ordered Trump to respond by September 12th. Judge Cannon also told the parties to meet and confer on this issue prior to their submission, which took place on September 9th, about who they would want to bring in for a special master and what the procedure would look like and to give their thoughts on it. And then late last night on Friday, the parties filed a joint filing about their disagreements over who the special master should be and what the procedures and processes should be. And the government said the classified document should not be subject to the special masters. Trump said the uh, classified documents should be given to us first. We should look at all of the records and then we will tell the special master what the categories are. And then the special master can make decisions and file a report to the court on which documents um, should or shouldn't be returned or what the uh, privileges exist if they exist at all. So that's the overall summary of where we're at. Let's delve into some of that, Popak. Let me turn it to you. Okay, Pat, thanks. So the, the way I read the, let's start with the appeal. 
way I read the appeal, they're not actually appealing the entire decision. They've made a surgical decision, similar to what you and I talked about last week on the podcast about we knew they were going to appeal, but what were they going to appeal? And in boxing them in, as you framed it, or boxing her in, they're going to appeal two aspects, it looks like, of her order, and they're going to give her an opportunity to fix part of it. They're going to appeal the aspect of her order that says that executive privilege a is properly asserted by trump and should be reviewed by a special master they think executive privilege is off limits not something that is properly asserted in this case over any of the documents and certainly not something that a special master should be picking through as they go through these documents whoever that special master is and also they're they're appealing the aspect of the order that enjoins or stops the department of justice and the broader intelligence community the ic which includes the fbi from using the documents not just looking at them but using them to progress their investigation meaning documents lead to leads in investigations which require interviews with cooperating and maybe not so cooperating witnesses the way the order is written and the way the justice department has interpreted judge cannon's order they cannot, without violating this federal order, follow up on leads. And one of the leads that they want to follow up on with with um, uh, witnesses, Ben, is whether there are other classified and national defense and security documents located, not just within Mar-a-Lago. They're pretty sure they picked that whistle clean when they did the search warrant execution, but at other locations that you and I touched on last week that are in Trump's universe, his apartment in New York, his Bedminster Golf Club, other properties. He has properties all around the world. And by using current documents with, with uh, witnesses, doing a normal investigation, you'd be able to find out the extent of the national security and national defense compromise that it, which they're doing as an assessment. That's one. The second thing the Department of Justice told the judge in their filing is you have inadvertently or on purpose also stopped the very thing that you said that we could do, which is continue a national intelligence, a global intelligence assessment, because the same people that would be assessing the compromise of the intelligence and of our diplomacy, national diplomacy, international diplomacy, includes the FBI. You can't separate them. There's no bright line to, to divide up these, these reviewers of documents. And so you may have not wanted that, and you said that in your order, you didn't want to stop the continued assessment of, of whether the national security has been compromised through a national intelligence community, but you have, by, by the way, of your order. So you've got the appeal, which will go to the 11th Circuit. Again, three random judges will be selected, six of which have been appointed by Trump. We're going to talk about one of them because she's married to one of the special master candidates that Trump has proposed get to that in a moment and um five of the judges on the panel are either appointed by obama or um you know clinton or other people that were not trump not republicans comes to, just to remind everybody another lesson you're you're one of your two senators federal senators in this case marco rubio nominates someone and trump appoints to the 11th circuit and to all the circuits we'll talk about that in a moment that's the appeal. In the meantime, they run back to court and simultaneously file with Judge Cannon, as you alluded to, this 28-page or so um, uh, motion, which 
asks her to reconsider her order in a number of ways. Once it, it reminds her, you don't have jurisdiction over this matter because the factors that a federal judge has to apply to insert herself into an ongoing investigation, one that hasn't yet resulted in an indictment or even a grand jury, um, are extraordinary. And you, Judge, have not found that those extraordinary elements are present. You talked about one of them in the last podcast, which is this callous disregard for the rights of Donald Trump. In fact, she found the opposite. She found no callous disregard for the rights of Donald Trump in the execution of the search warrant. So you don't have jurisdiction. And then the, they go on to talk about, as you, you've done, and including in your hot takes, about um, the ownership, the possessory right of the person has to be present in order for them to bring a motion of this type and for the judge to find some sort of executive privilege. And again, they've reminded this judge, trying to school this judge, that Donald Trump could not possibly have a, a, a legitimate argument to possessory rights, ownership rights over classified documents. So judge, we're gonna help you avoid a reversible error. We're gonna tell you that the classified documents, including those empty folders, right? Those 48 empty folders or so of classified material that we don't know where they went. We have to be able to continue to investigate that because those documents, Ben, as they said in the papers, are not just relevant evidence. They are the very object of the criminal investigation. The crime that's being alleged is that he stole the people's documents. You can't claim that the people's documents are yours and therefore can't be reviewed when that is the very object of the three crimes that he's being charged with. And then reminding her of the impact to the intelligence community assessment that she believed that she was allowing to continue, but that they can't. So you have all of that going on in the filing. They're okay. And you and I kind of picked up on this last week. They would, they did, they only, the department of justice only got very excited over not the attorney-client privilege stuff, although they think that's a laughable argument. It was the executive privilege being asserted by Trump and her assigning a special master related to that. They think that's ridiculous. On the, but they're willing to live with a special master to let them go through like personal items, like the passport, things that weren't really, you know, were properly scooped up by the search warrant execution, but now can be returned as rightful property um, not classified information, not defense documents back to Donald Trump, as long as those standards. Which, by the way, Popak, weren't they doing that anyway with the filter team? I mean, right. they, that's why they don't care. They have a there's process a, in place right. that was in the search warrant. And so right. for them, it's like, okay, you want to pay someone else to do what we were going to do anyway? That was right. normal procedure, but it's the... Yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. And then the executive privilege being used against the executive branch is is ridiculous and they and they reminded the judge of that as well but but what they're telling the judge when you when you strip all this away and that's what we do here we strip it all away is judge will live with your order on the special master related to attorney client privilege assertion and any kind of real personal items that he owns um, that, that should be returned to him if they haven't already been but everything else about your special master order is reversible error and here's the the repeat reasons why and that will go up to the 11th circuit now that's the reason why ben some people might be head scratching why are they continuing the department of justice to participate in the judge's process of picking a special master and joint submitting um, with uh, with Donald Trump, this eight-page thing about the special master and what the function of the special master 
uh, would be if they're also appealing. It's because they're not appealing the whole thing. They're appealing a part of it, and they're willing to go forward so it won't be a waiver of their argument with this other aspect of, of the special master. Now let's look at the people that both sides have picked for special master. Department of Justice picks one unassailable uh, people who have no axe to grind and no political agenda or other link to the case that would disqualify them. Barbara Jones. You and I talked at length about Judge Barb, former Judge Barbara Jones. She was appointed by the Southern District of New York to be the special master for Michael Cohen's materials, for Rudy Giuliani's materials. So she is a well-regarded, respected lion of the bench, you know, ex um, lioness of the bench, ex-judge, who um, they said she's done it before. Let's let's use her again. That sounds good. And the other judge that you talked about, Judge Thomas Griffin, Griffith who also has a tremendous reputation and had just stepped off recently from the uh, Court of Appeals for the Federal Court of Appeals sitting in Washington. Now let's look, by contrast, at the two people that Donald Trump has, has uh, selected, one of which I sort of know rep, uh, from working in, in Miami. First one is uh, Ray Deary, who is a recently retired Eastern District New York, meaning Brooklyn, New York, federal judge. Ray Deary has a very good record. He was appointed by Ronald Reagan. He's about 78 years old. But what is the problem with Ray Deary? It's that he is connected to Carter Page, who used to work for Donald Trump, and for which the FBI, through the, the uh, FISA court, the, uh, the, the foreign uh, surveillance court, that Judge Deary had been a member of, appointed by uh, John Roberts for about eight years, there were three different search warrants that he issued based on representations by the FBI against Carter Page, a uh, Trump uh, uh, advisor and counselor, based on the FBI's allegations and the Department of Justice allegations that he was a foreign spy working for um, the Russians and that they had enough evidence concerning that, using a little bit of the Steele dossier, which has now been discredited. Problem with the Carter Page event is that the Department of Justice's Inspector General, in doing a review of whether there was problems with those search warrants, found that at least two out of the three were improper and based on an improper basis. It should not have they should not have gone to the FISA court and judge um, and, and Judge Deary, and they should not have obtained those search warrants. And the FBI and the Department of Justice sort of conceded that later. So what do you have? You have a judge being offered a special master who got burnt twice by the FBI, the Department of Justice, and may have a real jaundiced view of any government position being brought brought in front of him, despite his his otherwise impeccable record on the bench. I don't think it's a coincidence that he was the judge that got potentially burnt by the Carter Page. I, I, and Popak, before you do the next one, yeah, that's sure. an incredible analysis right there. I had not heard that analysis. Lots of people were speculating why Deary, you know, Deary's got a record of being a, a great reputation, very reputable judge, but they're banking on the fact that Deary's going to say, hey, you, I was misled by the government once before, so... I'm going to come into this with a great deal of skepticism right. about the war. It's a good point. Uh, absolutely. Yep. Thank you. And the second one is uh, Paul Huck Jr. Okay. So let's start with that. Paul Huck's father, Paul Huck Sr., was my first federal criminal trial that I defended um, 20 years ago. It's a well-respected family in Miami. 
Um, he is the son of the of the of the federal judge that's now retired. He has had his own nice career as a commercial litigator, as a products liability injury litigator at a major firm in Coral Gables, very close to my firm. I know the guy well through other people. He also served as uh, Charlie Crist's when he was governor, Republican then governor of Florida as his as his attorney as his attorney general at that time. I'm sorry, as his general counsel, so the, the head lawyer for Charlie Crist. And he then went to two major international global law firms. Why did why is there a a taint of conflict of interest related to Paul Huck Jr. Because he's married to Barbara Lagoa. Barbara Lagoa sits on the 11th Circuit, having been nominated by Marco Rubio and, and appointed by Donald Trump. Barbara Lagoa, I'll just say it, had a very good reputation as a Miami state court level trial judge appointed by the then governor to the third district court of appeal in Miami. I've appeared in front of her in both proceedings. She had an impeccable credential. She's on the right side of the aisle related to her politics and she got appointed to the 11th. Now, Paul Huck Jr. It gets picked as the special master and there's an appeal to the 11th circuit. We'll talk about judges recusing and disqualifying themselves because of their spouses later with Jenny Thomas. What do you think happens, Ben? Do you think she she has to recuse herself if she's selected? I think that anyone other than the Supreme Court, I think they would technically have an obligation to recuse if the spouse is uh, right. if the spouse comes before you. That's the canon that that deals with judicial recusals. And as we'll talk about later, when it comes to the Supreme Court, though, they're self-governing regarding all potential conflicts of interest, and that there is no one who can tell them whether there's a conflict or not, which is one of the issues of why there needs to be serious reform there. But if she follows the rule of the law, she should definitely recuse herself if it comes in front of her to the extent the decisions being made by her husband go in front of her or have a potential to go in front of her. And it seems like to the extent the husband would be appointed as a special master, they absolutely would because they'd be to the extent decisions are made or could be made. And one of the things that Trump wants particularly is the special master to make determinations of executive privilege, like to just exactly. have this independent party make the balls and strikes on what's executive privilege, not the executive branch. Oh. I mean, we're talking about separate then that will go to the, you know, we'll go uh, to agreed. Let, 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 me, let me bring it. Let me square the circle one more time. Paul Hawk Jr. is a member of the Federalist Society. You can go on their website. And he's sitting right there. He's well respected in right wing Republican and Republican circles. I'm sure the six Republicans who sit on the 11th Circuit appointed by Trump like Paul Huck Jr. They like Barbara Lagoa. So there's a halo effect around him. But there's nothing in his background whatsoever as a private lawyer or as sitting as the uh, general counsel for Charlie Crist that makes him qualified to practice in this arena of determining executive privilege, even at, even having a national security clearance to look at any of the documents. He's not, you know, I assume those are the one of the two so that she would, Cannon would pick Deary because Deary matches up better with Barbara Jones and with the other federal appellate judge on the other side. So if she's trying, I think Huck sort of loses, but I think that may have been done strategically like game theory to get her to pick Deary. 
Look, they interviewed Deary before they picked him now that he stepped off the bench. He just recently retired as a senior status judge. They know what his positions are in terms of this, and they, they think they found a friend in former Judge Deary, and that's why he's on their list. Let's. I, I'm not sure what she does. I think she stops the whole special master process until she gets guidance from the from the 11th Circuit, but they, the Department of Justice, just to kind of end my breakdown of this, the Department of Justice has given Judge Cannon until the 15th to do the right thing. She doesn't do the right thing by the 15th. They're going to and stay her order related to all of these things. Um, they're going to take, they're going to ask for a stay at the 11th Circuit from the three-judge panel that gets appointed there. So they're kind of giving her one last chance, Judge, to avoid reversible error, fix your order, stay the aspect of the order that's reversible or we're taking you up to the 11th circuit and seeking our injunction there it was definitely when i read what the department of justice said to the judge it was somewhat of a rare strong arm move to tell the judge like we're giving you a deadline judge but it, it's because there are unprecedented times with her level of incompetence and corruption where they said in their motion for partial stay you're going to rule on these classified documents. They told her <laughs> that's normally what a judge tells the litigant. They said, we're going to give you until September 15th to rule on our motion for partial stay regarding the 100 classified documents, or basically we're going to tell on you and we're going to embarrass you to the 11th circuit. And if you think you're embarrassed now, wait until the motion that we file, which is why I don't think they've yet filed their actual appeal because it's so blistering. It will be so blistering and so destructive of her credibility. I think they want to legitimately give her until next week to try yeah. to reverse course and do the right thing. So she responded to that motion for partial stay, which was filed on Thursday, and she ordered Trump to respond to that by September, I believe by September 12th. So on Monday, yeah. Monday, on, right. on Monday, we can expect Trump's filing. And now Trump's going to have to respond. What is his position? regarding the government saying under no circumstances can he control or own those 100 classified records. We got a taste of it in the motion for special master of what he's going to argue, which is he's not going to argue that they are absolutely mine because he'd be admitting to the crime <laughs> that he stole them, number one. Um, and he's not going to argue what he's what he claims, which has no bearing on the crimes he's being accused of because he doesn't know what the documents well, because he knows what the documents are, but doesn't want that to come out what they are. Um, he's not going to argue that he declassified the records, because if he declassified nuclear secrets, which he's not allowed to do. In many cases, that's like almost worse. Like you just waved a magic wand and you declassified nuclear secrets. So anybody can do a Freedom of Information Act request and just find out our nation's nuclear secrets. And you can't declassify nuclear secrets. But here's what he's arguing, because it's in the brief, um, in, the, uh, in, the, in the brief that was filed last night regarding the special master. Plaintiff believes the government's objection to the special master reviewing documents that they deem classified classified as misplaced. First, the government's position incorrectly presumes the outcome, that their separation of these documents is inviolable. So they're, they're so they're Trump's basically saying, 
you can't even we need a special master to look at it because even though the department of justice is saying they're classified you can't believe them that they're even we, we don't know that to be the fact and he goes second their stance wrongly assumes that if a document has a classification marking it remains classified in perpetuity now notice there what does it even mean he's what not even mean? saying he declassified of course at some point in time a document will not be classified 50 years or 100 years from now but there are classified documents and the statutes and the criminal statutes he's being prosecuted or investigated under don't require classification at all oh and this one gets extra embarrassing if any seized document is a presidential record plaintiff them referring to trump has an absolute right of access to it while access by others including those in the executive branch has specified limitations thus president trump cannot be denied access to those documents, which in this matter gives legal authorization to the special master to engage in first-hand review. Talk about gibberish, non sequitur, and misunderstanding law. He's not the president. It's not President Trump. He's not the president. And yes, the executive branch is the one who should have it, not the former president who stole it. It's a total inversion of the law. And if that was the case, then what? All former presidents can go and just steal documents from the executive. <laughs> but if that's the argument, Popat, he's in a lot of trouble. I, I agree. And you said earlier when we started the segment that he didn't, the Trump side didn't do anything for two full weeks. They're not doing anything stretches back even further. And the Department of Justice reminded Canada of that in their filing. He never asserted the executive privilege when he voluntarily um, <clears throat> or was compelled to respond to the grand jury uh, subpoena that they used first to get back all of the classified information. The one where uh, Bob, you know, taped up a folder with, you know, like masking tape that said, you know, top secret documents enclosed and said, this is it. We did it all. It's all in this one little folder. Is it? you never asserted executive privilege then. It's a little late and disingenuous to say you think in, in honesty that you that uh, that executive privilege applies. Oh, you're so right. The search warrant was needed because right. they lied to a grand jury right. subpoena. And in, right. and in response to the grand jury subpoena, what would they normally do? What would you do? What would I do for a client? You would say, objection, executive privilege, attorney-client privilege. We're not turning over. Move Please. to quash the, uh, the, the subpoena. And, and for the judge to be like, well, you disregarded a grand jury <laughs> subpoena, and now I'm going to allow a privilege that doesn't exist to be asserted where you're claiming to own documents that belong to the executive branch as a private citizen. It's just such bad law, and we'll see what happens next. So we'll keep you updated. The next filing will be September 12th. The one last Can thing I, say, I want to... Oh, yeah. You say it, and I got one last thing. Oh, the one last <laughs> thing I wanted to point out about the judicial master filing, or the mm -hmm. special master filing, is the government wanted Trump to pay for it all because he's the one requesting it. And Trump wanted to split the costs 50-50 and have the taxpayers uh, pay 50% of his bill. That's the last part I wanted to say. Hope yeah, I no, it's again, again, I want to just leave it on this. Judge Cannon has a primary fundamental misapprehension of the crimes that are charged in this case and the documents that are, are evidence or, or the object of those crimes. And it's like the old joke about, you know, she got off on the wrong foot and never caught up. You know, like you're doing a dance choreography and you just start off on the left instead of the right, and then you're sort of screwed for the whole choreography. 
she does not understand and the department of justice had tried to has tried to teach her in in three separate briefs that the documents that are at issue classified documents these hundred documents that we've now identified are not just evidence they are the very object of the crime it would be like the gun in a murder they picked up the gun in the murder and she's saying you can't use the gun that you picked up in the murder because you got to do a special master and all this other stuff. The documents are the crime. The documents are the crime. So you can't use a special master to go. You shouldn't be using a special master to go through. And you certainly shouldn't be stopping an active criminal investigation that has national security, real time implications with a national intelligence assessment, stop it in its tracks because you want to play some kabuki theater of a special master to placate the Federalist Society wing of your party. Or the MAGA extremist Republican right. wing who's subsumed all of that. Let's talk, speaking of the MAGA extremist wing, a grand jury in Washington, D.C. has issued subpoenas to MAGA extremist wing people. Um, uh, Trump's political action committee, it's called the Save America PAC, which just saying that name, it's the exact opposite of what it is. because Save America from MAGA. I mean, that's what we should be saving America from. Um, and also, there have been other subpoenas that were issued to Trump's former top advisors who still work with him. Stephen Miller, who was a top uh, policy advisor who wrote speeches for him. Brian Jack, who was the former political director in the Trump White House. And those grand jury subpoenas, what really being honed in on here by this grand jury is the fake electors. And it also appears now more and more about Trump's Save America PAC which was basically used in a similar fashion as the way Steve Bannon, who we'll talk about shortly as well, used the We Build the Wall nonprofit to basically grift and steal money from donors, but ultimately enrich themselves. But in the case of the Save America PAC, to further obstruct the investigation by the Department of Justice. And it was being used, for example, to pay for lawyers of Jan 6 witnesses um, to try to get them not to testify and to not give truthful testimony and give information. And that Save America PAC that Trump created was created right after the election. It wasn't like a, a normal political action committee which would like try to get someone elected. Its literal goal and objective is to undermine stop, our democracy. Stop, stop the peaceful transfer of power. Stop the peaceful transfer of power. Um, so, Popak, other than that intro I gave that these yeah. grand jury subpoenas are out there, what other information can we glean yeah. and why is this big news? Well, you and I have, thanks, Ben, you and I have talked a lot about the fact that we have, we have been able to identify not just one, not just two, but probably four or more ongoing grand juries led by Merrick Garland's Department of Justice in Washington, D.C. Again, answering the question from just a couple of months ago, what's Merrick Garland doing? You know, he's asleep at the switch. He's not. But there is a process and grand juries um, are fragile things. They have to be formed. You have to prepare your case to present it to the grand jury. You've got to get witness subpoenas out. And so now we know that uh, there's at least, I think, four. There's there's one in particular that, that you've uh, launched this segment about, which is looking at two things. They're related, but two things. The fake elector scheme 
and the use of the fake elector scheme and other and other things to raise money fraudulently from donors with Trump's Save America PAC, which is not a political action committee in the Department of Justice's view, at least in the and the target of their investigation, but rather is a major grift for Trump and others to get money, extract it from their wallet, you know, take it right out of their wallet into their coffers to use for these other nefarious purposes, particularly the, the to, to, to stop Joe Biden from being president of the United States or to stop the peaceful transfer of power. So this particular grand jury has not only focused on Save America, but has also now subpoenaed uh, at least three people close to the Trump orbit and more. They always start with the low-level White House aides who know everything because they're in every room as a literal fly on the wall about everything, and they worry about their careers and going to jail, so they're, they're good witnesses. So they've already brought in a whole tranche of lower-level um, White House aides. Now they've moved on to Stephen Miller, if not the most senior policy advisor for Donald Trump for most of his administration, one of the, he, you know, he, he was part of the um, terrible immigration policy and build the wall um, uh, policies and pronouncements by Donald Trump. They're all, they all come back to the dark Lord of Stephen Miller. The other person is Brian Jack. Brian Jack was the last White House political director for Trump in the 2020 period. He's also currently a political director for Kevin McCarthy and a political director for the RNC. So he's still very high up in Republican circles. They've subpoenaed him to talk about the fake electors and the Save America PAC all by this grand jury. And they've also brought in one of the lawyers um, that we haven't really talked we've touched on but haven't talked about it at length ken cheeseborough was also the architect of the fake elector scheme he's been subpoenaed again continuing the theme of the department of justice to bring in every lawyer who has an ethical obligation to ultimately tell the truth and not participate in a crime before a grand jury this is now no less than the seventh or eighth trump lawyer that's been brought before a grand jury uh, by this department of justice so that's where we are um now, one last thing, um, the grand jury that we're talking about, the fake elector Save America PAC, is being led, in other words, the prosecutor that's in charge of it is Thomas Wyndham. You and I, about six months ago, commented that the arrival of Tom Wyndham, who is a seasoned, fearless pit bull of a prosecutor on the federal side, especially in public corruption cases, was not going to be a good thing for Donald Trump. And now we're seeing the fruits of that because Tom Wyndham and his and his group of assistant U.S. attorneys are the ones that are leading on these grand juries. And he's the one signing these subpoenas. And he's the one that's intervened even in the Eastman case related to the phones. So anything related to fake electors and anything related to the Save America PAC and Trump is being led by this really amazing, fearless prosecutor under Merrick Garland named Tom Wyndham. A lot of grand juries, Popak. How many yeah. grand juries do you think are currently investigating Trump-related, Donald Trump-related? Trump federal? Federal? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Federal. I think five or, I think five or six. Um, you know, because we talked about, obviously, one of the federal grand juries relates to the search at Mar-a-Lago, because that was the subpoena that issued from that grand jury. Um, we obviously know there's a grand jury here in connection with the Save America PAC. 
the fake electors scheme. Um, I think there's just other grand juries in general. I mean, well, we know there's other grand juries relating to, I'm not even sure if this was included in your tally, the special purpose acquisition company, Truth Social. Um, and there are grand juries investigating that. What other ones do you think that may exist? Um, I think we got the fake. We just, we, we, I think we've yeah. done a good rundown. We got the fake electors. We've got the Save America pack. We've got other aspects of Jan 6 yeah. and what, and what happened on the ellipse and the rally and all of that, I think is being handled by another grand jury. Um, and then the one, and then the ones that you just talked about. So look, it's a, uh, it's a good day for democracy and it's a good day for, as you kicked off this podcast today about the last firewall against the burn down and the toppling of democracy is a properly functioning department of justice led by somebody like Merrick Garland and not Bill Barr. We'll talk about him later and a court system, though infiltrated by Trump appointees, some of which, most of which have come out with bizarre activist judge rulings that um, have no basis in constitutional law or history, some of which have done the right thing, like we talked about Judge Nichols against uh, Steve Bannon in, the, in his other case related to the department, related to the Jan 6 committee's uh, subpoena. Um, it's the last firewall on democracy. It's the reason that despots, dictators, and Trumps and MAGA want to tear it down and destabilize it and make and delegitimize the FBI and the um, and the, uh, and the judicial branch because all dictators do because that's the first thing dictators do when they take over. They disband the Supreme Court of whatever country they've now taken over because they don't want judges who follow a constitution or follow judicial precedent to be um, stopping them from their evil scheme. That was why one of Trump's, when he ran on actually in 2016, what Hillary Clinton was saying to everybody is, look, he's attacking the judiciary. He'd attack them personally. He'd give xenophobic attacks on them. And he would attack the judges by name, would dox them. It's one of the tactics Steve Bannon would use as well, trying to undermine the legitimacy of actual law and order and replace it with a MAGA extremism um, and corruption. And speaking of Steve Bannon, Steve Bannon was indicted this week in a joint prosecution by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and New York Attorney General's Office for state law crimes based on his involvement in the We Build the Wall scam. Two of the founders of that We Build the Wall scam had already pled guilty in connection with the federal prosecution. Steve Bannon was federally prosecuted for wire fraud and other related crimes, but he received a full pardon from Donald Trump in connection with his involvement in that scheme. On January 19th, 2021, Steve Bannon then filed a motion to dismiss the federal charges, which had to be reluctantly granted by the district court out of the Southern District of New York. And she mentioned in her order that a pardon is an admission of the crime. We reported on Legal AF for those Legal AFers who are OG Legal AFers. We told you back then that the Manhattan District Attorney was investigating. And sure enough, the wheels of justice moved slowly. And that prosecution came to fruition this week. Steve Bannon being charged with two felony counts for money laundering, two felony counts for conspiracy, one felony count scheming to defraud. The allegations are that Steve Bannon basically took at least a million bucks 
from this we build the wall scam where they claim they were going to help build the wall and he pocketed it himself one of the other things to note about this indictment out of new york is actually unlike the federal case the we build the wall 501c i'm sure if it's a c4 i think it is it's a scam so that's why i'm like is it a c4 it's not a legitimate it's not a legitimate c4 um was also named as a defendant and then steve bannon was seen uh, surrendering himself and like ranting and raving like a demented lunatic that he is as he left off the government's got me i'm a maga this is the maga party like that's literally what he was doing that's that's where we are with maga uh. extremists at this point Popeye. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Progressive Commercial Insurance. To all the passion projects, side hustles, and small businesses, we see you. You have drive. But if you're driving more than your dreams, you'll want Progressive Commercial Auto Insurance. They look out for you with discounts for safe driving, prior insurance, and more. Plus, as your business grows, you can simply add more Progressive's customizable coverages. Protect your drive to work and your drive to do business. Get a quote in as little as six minutes at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts and coverage selections not available in all states or situations. This episode is brought to you by Western Union. Sending money has never been easier. Until October 31st, new Western Union customers can enjoy a $0 transfer fee when sending money online. It's fast, reliable, and available 24-7. To learn more and get your first transfer for free, visit westernunion.com or download the app. Services offered by Western Union Financial Services Incorporated and MLS 906983 or Western Union International Services LLC and MLS 906 Terms apply. FX gains apply. This episode is brought to you by Neutrogena Stubborn Acne Blemish Patches. Ultrasin, dermatologist tested, and clinically proven stubborn patches provide an optimal healing environment for blemishes with visible results in just one use. Comfortable to wear at any time and available in a variety of shapes and sizes. Neutrogena Stubborn Acne Blemish Patches. Find them in a store near you today. Yeah, um, I like this indictment for a lot of reasons, some of which we touched on last week. Uh, it wasn't just a rubber, a rubber stamp of the federal prosecution, even though federal prosecutors got all the way to trial um, with it. And they could have just said, OK, thank you. We'll just convert this into New York State stuff. We'll give it to a clerk over the weekend and we'll just indict him on Monday. This started with Cy Vance, uh, Karen Friedman, Agnifilo, our illustrious co-hosts uh, boss she was the number two there and ended with alvin bragg and letitia james in a special as you said joint prosecution they issued a joint press release about it how does that work for those that like the inside baseball stuff that we give them um it looks like it was led by the manhattan da's office but there are criminal bureaus within the attorney general's office at the state level public integrity is one of them and certain of those public integrity and other lawyers in the New York Attorney General's office were deputized specially as special assistant district attorneys for this particular case. And then they all work together. And there's a long list. We'll, we'll, we'll post the press release. There's a list of like 30 people between the state, the New York Attorney General's and the Manhattan DA's office working together on this over the last almost two years to put together this indictment, which is based on New York state claims and a New York hook, you got to have jurisdictional hook. Like, why is it being prosecuted in New York? Well, of course, they found um, 11,000 donors in New York state who were swindled, according to the indictment, at a 73, so, sorry, $730,000 worth of donations. 
and another, and I found this, I found this interesting because I didn't think there were that many Republican right-wingers in Manhattan, which is a very liberal place. They got 430 donors in Manhattan for $33,000 to also donate money to this fraudulent pack of, uh, of, uh, say, uh, build the wall or whatever it was called. The, the, so it, it's focused on New York law and all of the felonies that are listed there are all under New York law, some of which have counterparts under federal law, and some of them are, are, are unique to the, to the New York penal code. The problem, which are major for, for Bannon, uh, comes in the form of two people, Brian Colfage and Andrew, I love this name, Badalotto, Andrew Colfage, both from Florida, who was a, a wounded Air Force veteran who led the uh, We Build the Wall charity, and, and this guy, Andrew Badalotto, who worked with it, um, have already pled guilty to the very similar federal law counts, declaring, if you will, admitting, if you will, that the charity that Bannon siphoned a million dollars from, it was a fraud, that all the money, or most of the money, did not go to the building the wall. I don't think they ever, maybe there was a small segment of a phony wall they put up for for uh, fundraising purposes. But when Steve Bannon stood in front of an audience fundraising in June of 2019 and said, quote, all the money that you give goes to the wall, that's in the indictment, that is a fraud because most of it did not go to build the wall. Millions of dollars went to Colfage approved by Bannon, a million or more went to Bannon for his personal expenses and lifestyle. Remember, Ben, that when they when they um, arrested Bannon on the federal case, they pulled him off of a super yacht that he was about to that he was about to get on to party with right wing Republicans, you know, using, I guess, some of the money from this. They pulled him off the yacht here. They let himself surrender because they didn't want they knew it was going to be a circus with him. They wanted to kind of suck some of the oxygen out of the room for him and just let him come into an administrative room and and surrender. So Colfage and Badalotto, Ben, I don't know if you caught this in the reporting, they already pled guilty and they were supposed to be sentenced on the federal side on the 6th of September. 6th of September has come and gone and there's no reporting of them being sentenced. So I'm going to speculate here based on reasonable opinion that they are going to cooperate with the state prosecutors against him and perhaps get some credit because the basis of their accepting the guilty plea was that the government, the federal government, would recommend a sentence for each of them somewhere for, for Colfage between four and five years and for Badalotto between three and a half and four years. I think they're going to whittle that down based, and the government feds are going to say, in their sentencing memo, they helped with the state prosecution for Bannon and they should be given additional credit and let's get it down to two years. But Bannon is looking at five to 15 years for all of the felonies that are listed if he's convicted by a Manhattan jury. I can't stress for you enough, Ben, how liberal Manhattan is and how much they're not going to. It's supposed to be a jury of your peers, but not of your political party. And I think he's going to if they put on a case, uh, an effective case, which that Manhattan DA's office is very, very good at, I think Bannon gets convicted of this crime. This big news. I mean, it seems like not a week passes where Bannon is not either indicted or convicted of something, right? I mean, he was just recently convicted of two counts of contempt of Congress, one for 
not showing up in connection with the January 6th subpoena and another count for not producing documents in connection with the January 6th subpoena. He asked for a motion for new trial just last week in front of Judge Nichols, who denied the motion for new trial. He's going to be sentenced there uh, in mid to late October. And so a lot of criming by Bannon, but a lot of accountability, which I like as well. A lot of more topics to discuss. We got to touch upon Popak right here. Uh, the uh, federal judge in the Southern District, Judge Middlebrooks uh, in the Southern District of Florida, who not just like dismissed Donald Trump's absurd and frivolous RICO racketeering lawsuit. Um, I, I say RICO one of the things I should break down is what RICO means and what racketeering is. And you could break that down because some people were asking, you say RICO like we know what RICO is. And I apologize <laughs> for that in one of my uh, one of the comments. It's, it's true. Um, but also, basically, the judge retained jurisdiction to sanction Alina Haba. And Alina Haba is in big trouble for that case. I mean, she's in big trouble for all of the lies. She's the next gen stupid uh, Trump lawyer. Like the previous ones have all wait, lost their wait. Wait, wait, I'm, I'm, I must have missed this. Is this, is this something you on your hot takes or, or Midas brothers, you, Jen stupid loving this? Is that what you call them? Yeah, it's, it's just, it's the next Jen <laughs> stupid. I mean, you had the, you know, you had the elders. You know, Giuliani yeah. and Sidney right. Powell, like right. they've either all lost their licenses or disbarred, yeah. like the they're boomers. dealing with it. Right. And, that, right. and now, you know, now Gen, whatever am I, millennials <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> they've come in and they go, oh, you know what? I've seen, you know, the crazy thing is, like, if you're Alina Haba, you saw Giuliani fart on Jenna Ellis. And you saw them all lose their license, you know, and, and all of the issues that they're going through if they didn't lose their license. But a lot of them are being investigated, disbarred, all of that. And then for you to go, you know what? That's what that's for me. That's what I want is really, 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 you know, an incredible thing. It makes it worse almost than, than the first gen. The second gen watches the first gen. And then go, at least the first gen, he was potentially still the president at first, you know, I mean, you know, so, so the second gen, the word. So this judge Middlebrooks, he's a Clinton appointee, very experienced judge, has incredible reputation in the court. Um, Trump files this RICO racketeering lawsuit against Hillary Clinton and Mark Elias and Peter Strzok and Fusion GPS and James Comey and basically everyone that he rants about. This lawsuit was filed in March of 2022, and the lawsuit looked like his like crazy, demented social media post. It was like 118 pages. You couldn't even make sense of what it was even trying to say or allege. Like poorly written, no basis in law, outside the statute of limitations, if you can even construe a complaint, because all this shit he was saying in this complaint filed in March of 2022, he was railing about back in October of 2017. He doesn't establish the elements for any of the alleged conspiracies or RICO claims that he's making. He's just using words like wire fraud, obstruction, but like not tethering it to actual legitimate acts. Uh, and kind of the same rollout for all of these Trump lawsuits that we talk about. The media covers it as Trump's filing this lawsuit against Hillary Clinton relating to the Russia hoax, right? Like total bullshit. They, they, that's how the media covers it. Alina Haba goes on Hannity and talks about this is the greatest lawsuit we've ever filed. We're going to win. But what's going on behind the scenes? 
Well, they try to disqualify Judge Middlebrooks. And why did they try to disqualify Judge Middlebrooks? And this is where this all ties together. They were trying to forum shop this case when they filed it in March of 22 to get who? Judge Eileen Cannon. They filed the case in Fort Pierce, even though he lives in West Palm. They couldn't make that same filing for the motion for judicial scrutiny, whatever the hell they called it for the search warrant, because literally the house was in um, West Palm. It just happened to get assigned to Eileen Cannon. But here they were fishing for Eileen Cannon. They filed it. They wanted Cannon. And it just happened to get assigned to Judge Middlebrooks. And when it got assigned to Judge Middlebrooks, they filed a motion to disqualify Middlebrooks to try to get it back into Cannon's court. And Judge Middlebrooks in real time in April, before any of this news on the search warrant, called it out in footnote three of his order denying the disqualification and 